Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom in the aftermath of the 2022 NFL draft, in which Ohio State had six players selected, the fewest in seven years for Ohio State since 2015. For most schools, a six players drafted would be a great draft, but for Ohio State, it's not because for Ohio State, Ohio State had at least seven players selected in each of the last six drafts. And of course, when Ohio State is trying to compete for national championships every year, a lot of that is contingent on whether Ohio State has the most NFL caliber talent on its roster. And I think when you look at this year's draft, it's not hard to see why Georgia won the national championship, considering Georgia had a record-breaking 15 players selected in the seven rounds of the draft. Alabama also had the second most players selected, so no surprise there that Alabama also was very well represented in the draft after going to the national championship game. And Cincinnati as well, after making the college football playoff, they had a record nine players selected in this year's draft. So that helps explain why the Bearcats were so good this past season. But for Ohio State, when you see that only six players were drafted, including only one on the defensive side of a ball, does that kind of confirm that Ohio State just didn't have as much top-level talent this past year as it has in most other years? I think so, for sure. I mean, especially defensively, when you look at how the defense performed for Ohio State, it's been kind of an issue for the past couple years now. And I think in seeing that only one defensive player was selected, of course, Tyreek Smith going in the fifth round and like a fifth round pick too. It's not like they had one one guy picked from the defense and it was a first rounder, a top 10 pick or anything. It was the lone defensive player selected for the Buckeyes in this draft was a fifth round selection in Tyreek Smith. I know we expected Haskell Garrett to also be selected. I know we'll probably talk about that a little bit more later here on the show. But yeah, I think you can definitely see the, the, the connection there between the performance on the field for Ohio State and the draft class we just saw. But I think we also kind of talked about this in previewing the draft as well. There's still there, there could be plenty of talent still on the defense. When you look at how many of the contributors last year were young guys with Denzel Burke, the Ronnie Hickmans of the world, the Jack Sawyers and JTs coming up. I think you can look at the draft class and be like, okay, maybe a lot of Ohio State's best defensive talent right now is still actually on the team. I should correct myself. Alabama didn't have the second most player selected overall. They had the second most in the first two days, but it was actually LSU who had the second most selected with uh, 10 overall players. Alabama actually tied for fifth with seven total selections, but all seven of those players were selected in the first three rounds, which again tells you about the top level talent that the Crimson Tide had last year. But yeah, I think that's a good point about the players that are returning. I, I saw one of the, like the comments on you know, the story I wrote about Ohio State having only six players selected was, this isn't a bad thing because it means we didn't lose as much talent from last year. And I think that certainly is a part of it. I think, you know, especially you mentioned on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of young, inexperienced players uh, on that defense last year. And now that the vast majority of those guys are returning. I mean, we say... Well, they only had one defensive player drafted, but they really only had two real major contributors on defense in the draft. I mean, Antoine Jackson was a part-time starter at defensive tackle, but you know, really it was Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett were really the only two consistent starters on defense who were in the draft class. And so definitely a surprise to me that Haskell Garrett did not get drafted, but you know, a lot of a reason why Ohio State didn't have uh, more defensive players drafted was because it just didn't have very many defensive players in the draft. And we'll talk in a little bit about some of the guys who maybe could be draft prospects next year from that defense, as well as uh, certainly some guys from the offense who could be uh, drafted high next year. But two offensive players already were drafted high this past week, those being Garrett Wilson to the New York Jets, Chris Olave to the New Orleans Saints. Got to give you kudos, Griffin, because you correctly predicted both of those landing spots. 
on last week's show. I had the pick correct. I did say that Chris Olave would go for the 11th pick, but I did not foresee the Saints trading up to that pick with the Washington Commanders. You had correctly predicted that the Saints would draft Chris Olave and that the Jets would draft Garrett Wilson. I had said the Falcons would draft Garrett Wilson. The Falcons ended up taking Drake London as the top receiver off the board, leaving Griffin for the or leaving Garrett Wilson, not Griffin. But they, if, if if the Jets had drafted Griffin, that would have been a pretty <laughs> typical Jets pick from some past years. No. Someone, someone definitely needs to get fired if anyone's drafting me in any he, sport any year. Yeah, Griffin. I, I think there would have been some boos from the Jets fans. I guess the draft wasn't in New York this year, but in the past, you, you see how a montage of when the draft for New York of the Jets fans booing the picks. I think if, if Roger Goodell had announced a Griffin Strom as the pick, uh, there would have been some confused uh, looks in the crowd. But the Jets landing a much uh, more popular pick, a very popular pick. I mean, I think a lot of the picks the Jets made were very popular in this draft, including two Buckeyes, Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Rucker, which pick that was very popular based on the fact that Jeremy Rucker grew up as a Jets fan. Jeremy Rucker, a Long Island native who's been a Jets fan his whole life, and now he gets to play for uh, the team that he grew up going to games watching as a kid. So that's really cool for Jeremy. But to start with those first round picks, I'll throw it to you, Griffin. Which of those two Ohio State receivers do you think landed in a better spot? Well, it's really interesting because, first of all, you think a wide receiver quarterback is a very important you know, part of that equation in terms of a young player's success transitioning to the next level. And there are questions and locations there in terms of quarterback play. Of course, the Saints recently signed uh, Jameis Winston to a two-year deal, I believe. Then the Jets also with Garrett Wilson. They just drafted Zach Wilson last year. It was, a, it was not a great season for Zach Wilson in that rookie year, but like, you look at that whole draft class with all the quarterbacks from a year ago and not a lot of them outside of the Mac Jones really had all that much success anyway. So you have to figure you can't write them off after one season beyond that. Of course, I mean, the saints had a much better season last year in general, and you would think the the organizational kind of structure there is, is kind of a, a better situation maybe for Chris Olave. However, like you just alluded to, there seems to be, there was a lot of buzz about what the Jets did in this draft, drafting Sauce Gardner, as you mentioned, Jermaine Johnson, I believe, and uh, Jeremy Ruckert, Garrett Wilson. There, there seems to be a lot of good favor about the the direction the Jets are headed, at least as, as far as this draft goes, and a lot of buzz. I know a lot of people talking about the Jets winning the draft, that type of thing. So I think if the Jets can keep building on kind of that momentum, that could be a, a, a decent landing spot for Garrett Wilson as well, despite the fact that the Jets typically... Is, is not the most desirable organization to, to land in for a player of that caliber. Yeah, I think there's two things to really like about Chris Olave going to the Saints. One being that they have an extremely good track record. When they draft Buckeyes, those guys are usually successful. Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, Malcolm Jenkins, Von Bell. Pete Warner had a really good rookie year last year. So typically when the Saints have drafted Ohio State players, it's gone well for both parties. And so I think there's reason uh, to feel good about Chris Olave going there, especially because of the fact that he is going to be playing opposite Michael Thomas. And I think those two guys are going to complement each other really well because Michael Thomas, of course, his game is all about that intermediate passing game. He's all about his ability to get open on those short and intermediate routes. When, when he's healthy, he's probably the best in the NFL at that, at winning on those 5, 10, 15 yard routes and, and just, just carving up defenses that way. But he's not that deep threat, which is to me what Chris Olave does best. And so I think those two guys are going to complement each other really well. I think with Michael Thomas, he's always going to draw a lot of attention from defenses with his ability. But I think Chris Olave's ability to, to make big plays in the deep passing game, Jameis Winston being a guy who has a big arm, that's going to stretch out defenses to allow Michael Thomas to make plays. So I think uh, Michael Thomas was very excited about this pick, and I think he should be because I think having Chris Olave playing opposite him is going to help him. And I think you know that's probably going to work both ways. So those are two things I really like about Chris Olave landing in New Orleans. But like you said, Drew Brees isn't there anymore. Jameis Winston is not Drew Brees. So I still think, and Sean Payton's not there anymore either. And Sean Payton really was kind of the architect of their offense. And so I still think there's some TBD there on how great a landing spot the Saints truly are for Chris Olave, but I think it's a good landing spot. And I think for him, I think he in particular really liked the fact that they traded up to get him because that shows you how much faith they have in him and the player he can be. 
And so I do think it's a, I think it's a good spot for both of those guys. I think it's a really good question. I know it was our poll on 11 Warriors a couple of days ago of which receiver is going to have the better career in the next you know, three years out. And I think our poll actually included Jamison Williams as well. And predictably, uh, on a site that caters to Ohio State fans, Wilson and Olave split most of the vote above Jamison Williams. But that was a tough question for me to answer. I'm going to go with Garrett Wilson, but it's really close to me because, I mean, I've said it before, I'm a big fan uh, of Chris Olave, but I, I think Garrett's landing spot, because of the reason you just said about the Jets, might be better than he's getting credit for. And I think I look at it as, at least for now, if you assume Michael Thomas makes a full recovery and becomes the player he was again a couple of years ago, at least for now, Chris Olave is going to be the number two guy in New Orleans. I think Garrett Wilson is going to very quickly become the number one guy in New York. And so I think that in itself could lead to the next two to three years, Garrett Wilson putting up bigger numbers than Chris Olave, especially if Zach Wilson plays up to his potential and becomes a franchise quarterback, he's supposed to be there. Yeah, it's so hard. And I know when even when we were talking about this kind of thing on last week's show, just previewing me, who, who do you like better between Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? It's such a hard thing to do. It's like choosing between your children or something like that. And there, there's something to be said for me with just Chris Olave just is the, seems to me to be the ultimate kind of dependable professional type. And not that, not to say that a Garrett Wilson or a Jameson Williams isn't that, but there's something to me about Chris Olave that strikes me as a type of guy that's really going to do everything the right way. And kind of, he just seems like such a reliable guy, a dependable guy. You could easily see having a long, successful career in the NFL, sustaining for a long time. Although we all know it's impossible to truly project those type of things in a violent sport like professional football, of course. So we never know, but it'll be interesting to watch, of course, for the next several years. But we should say in general, Dan, I mean, we talked about the, the Jets winning the draft and whatnot, but really Brian Hartline kind of won the draft himself as, you know, a, a position coach at, at a college at Ohio State, because like you mentioned, of course, with Wilson Olave and, and Williams going 10, 11 and 12, it, it was too, it was, it was, it was destiny or something like that for those guys to go back to back. Of course, all those pictures, the the picture, I believe from the, the Michigan State game when all three players uh, were celebrating in the end zone after a, a Gary Wilson touchdown, I believe it was, it's too bad. That it was like, that, that's not like the, the best picture in the world, honestly. I, w- I wish there was a, there had been a few more of those so, so we didn't have to see the same one over and over again. But, you know, for, for Brian Harline, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter being like, man, someone's got to someone's got to swoop up Brian Harline that this man deserves to be, you know, a head coach somewhere and whatnot. A lot of Ohio State fans probably hoping that does not uh, come true in the near future, but a, a definitely a huge weekend for him. And of course, in terms of recruiting, I mean, that's just only, only going to help matters. And we talked about it last week just projecting where these guys were going to land in terms of recruiting and, and, and seeing the recruits reactions on Twitter to those guys going back to back. Uh, it's going to be big for the Buckeyes moving forward. Yeah. How many recruits do you think Brian Hartline sent that photo to, or one of his assistants sent that photo to on Thursday night? Quite a few, uh, quite a few I'd have to imagine then. Yeah. I would bet Brandon Innes and Carnell Tate were, I'm sure they made sure that they were watching. I know Brandon did tweet about it too. So he definitely was paying attention. I know Jeremiah Smith, another one of our top receiver targets, he tweeted about it. So certainly that's something that is going to resonate with prospects when they see that three receivers that you just coached all went in the top 12. I think it was only destiny so that it would make our jobs harder as Ohio State writers (laughs) to have to post stories back to back on those guys. But yeah, I mean, certainly a heck of an accomplishment for Brian Hartline. And it just speaks to just how talented that room was. I mean, that you had three top 12 NFL draft picks playing at the same time. And when we get to talking about the 2023 NFL draft here in a few minutes, it also speaks to how good Jackson Smith and Chigba is that he was so good that Jamison Williams got pushed out of a starting lineup. The 12th overall pick in the draft got pushed out of a. Starting life, I do. I do feel like it's a bit poetic that 
J-Mo did go after Garrett and Chris because there was <laughs> some talk about is J-Mo going to be the top receiver drafted? And to me, I, I think you really are splitting hairs. I think it's all a matter of preference of those guys. And I'm sure if you looked at NFL teams, draft boards. I'm sure there were a bunch of different orders in which they had all four of those top receivers between London and Wilson and Olave and Williams. But I I think there's a little bit there of like, yeah, I mean, Wilson and Olave are the guys who beat out JMO in the first place. And so I feel like there was a lot of rhetoric this past season of like, JMO was the best one in that room. And we'll see here. And again, in three years, we'll see who's doing the best of the NFL of those guys. But I was always kind of like, and when they were all at Ohio State, I mean, JMO was the one who was playing the least and producing the least. And so that leads me to believe that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are a little bit better. And the NFL agreed at least slightly, but nevertheless, a great accomplishment for Jameson Williams as well to transfer to Alabama and become a top 12 pick in just one year there, even with a torn ACL, which I don't really know if that really affected his draft stock at all because he still went 12th and you've seen the videos of him out there running around looking healthy, but you know, for him to accomplish that uh, certainly uh, a heck of a breakout year for him. And, and yeah, I think we're going to be seeing that picture many more times. I agree with you looking through our own photos on 11 warriors. The only real photos that we had of those free together were them running in their warmup jerseys and not like, great photos of him. So you're right. It would be nice if there were a couple other photos of them all together that were like a little better. But uh, I think that one photo in particular uh, is going to continue to make the rounds for some time. Yeah, I I would imagine so. Dan, after those two guys got drafted there for the Buckeyes and of course, Jamison Williams, maybe some will count that some won't. But, you know, after that, it, it was a while before we heard another Buckeyes name called in the draft. No Buckeyes drafted in the second round. You, you go to pick number 69 in the third round for the next Buckeye to be drafted after Chris Olave, which was, of course, Nicholas Petit Ferrer, who went to the Titans. After that, it was Jeremy Ruckert also going in the third round to the Jets. Tyreek Smith then in the fifth round, becoming the one and only defensive selection of the, the Buckeyes draft class, going to the Seahawks. And then Thayer Munford in round seven, Dan, falling all the way down to, to round seven as the last Buckeye selected. Of course, we already touched on the fact that Haskell Garrett, we thought was going to be drafted. He ends up going undrafted. But when you look at kind of the rest of those guys there after the top two, which we obviously already discussed, who's fit in terms of their NFL team? Do you kind of like the most or or what situation do you envision being the best for those other uh, four guys there besides Wilson and Olave? Yeah, I mean, I think like from a personal standpoint, Rucker is the obvious choice because he does get to stay close to home. He gets to play for his childhood favorite team. I think that's really cool for him. But I think if you're talking about paths to immediate playing time and you know chances to play big roles right away, I think in his case, he's going to start his career as a third string tight end there in New York because they signed two free agent tight ends, CJ Uzama and Tyler Conklin, who were both really productive for their previous teams last year. And so I don't know how much playing time Ruckert's going to see right away. That doesn't mean that in two or three years, he won't become a big part of that offense, but I think he's probably going to have to wait his turn a little bit before he gets to play a major role there in New York. But I think Nicholas petit Frere landed in an interesting spot because I think it's possible he could compete for a starting job right away there. They did lose their right tackle, David Quessenberry, from last season. And so they have an opening there at right tackle. Nicholas petit Frere, of course, played both positions at Ohio State. Dylan Radins, who they drafted out of North Dakota State a year ago in the second round, he might be the front runner to start at that right tackle spot, but not that's not guaranteed because he didn't play a lot last year. And so I, I think petit Frere will get a chance as a rookie to go in there and compete as possible. They move Raidens to guard or if Raidens beats him out, then he's probably a swing tackle for year one. But I think he's going to have a chance to go in there and compete right away. And I also think one thing that if you see what a lot of people are writing, Titans writers, a lot of them think this could potentially be Taylor Lewan's last year in Tennessee because he's got a pretty big contract. He has two years left on his contract, but won't have any dead money on his contract next year. He's going to turn 31 later this year. So it's possible within either next year, maybe a year after, that the Titans could look to move on from Taylor Lewan and get younger at that left tackle position. And if they do that, I think Nicholas petit Frere could potentially be groomed to take over and be that next left tackle there in Tennessee. So I think on one side of a line or other, I think he's in a position where 
He should have a good opportunity to be a starter, starting offensive tackle if he performs well within his first two or three years in the league. And he's going to an offense that has a lot of talent on it. I mean, he was very excited when he was asked after being drafted about what it meant to be blocking for for Derrick Henry. He said, oh my God, are you kidding me? So I think he's very excited about that landing spot. And I think it'll be a good fit for him. Yeah, that's the one I had I had listed there as well. Obviously, you look at the, the team success there for Tennessee under Mike Rabel in recent years. Obviously, Mike Rabel had a chance to watch Nicholas Petit Ferrer in person at Ohio State's Pro Day, of course, a couple months ago. And then it was it was also funny to see, of course, the banter back and forth between uh, Nicholas Petit Ferrer and Taylor Luan, as you mentioned, obviously a Michigan guy, talking a little smack back and forth. But uh, they'll, they'll be suiting up together here pretty soon in the NFL. But Dan, as we look at kind of the end of the draft order here, as, as far as the Buckeyes are concerned, Another Ohio State offensive lineman, of course, Thayer Munford. I know you've had a chance to you know, speak with him throughout his preparation for the draft and everything like that. I know you said he was he wanted to be he was offended or, or whatever about being considered a third round pick, I believe, is what you were saying uh, maybe last week. So to, to fall to, to seventh round, certainly unfortunate for him, especially because if he would have came out a year earlier, maybe he would have gone higher. We don't know. We will never know. And then Haskell Garrett as well being the other one, which we were waiting a long time to, to hear those guys' names called. For a second there, it looked like maybe neither of them were going to be drafted. I mean, that would have been crazy to see. Of course, Haskell Garrett ends up going undrafted. As we said, which one of those two things, though, Dan, surprised you more? Was it Thayer Munford falling to that seventh round slot? Or was it the fact that Haskell Garrett, an All-American defensive tackle at Ohio State, ends up going not drafted at all? Yeah, they both surprised me. But yeah, I'd probably have to go with Haskell just you know, not being drafted at all. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see any mock drafts out there, but you know, seven round mocks that didn't have him getting drafted somewhere. Now there were some that did have him falling to the seventh round. I did see some that had a fair falling that far too, but to see Haskell fall all the way out of a draft that did surprise me. Obviously my projections for both of those guys proved to be a little bit too generous. And I think one common thread, I think a couple common threads between both of those guys, you kind of look back on it. If you, you, you try to pick up the pieces of why did they end up falling as far as they did? And I think a couple of things, I mean, I think for one, you can just kind of go back, look at the NFL combine. Neither of those guys tested particularly well. They're both among the lower end athletes of their position groups at the combine. And, and so I think they're both guys who teams probably dinged in the sense of not having those. When we're talking about by NFL standards here, those guys don't have elite measurables by NFL standards. And so I, I think that hurt both of those guys in, in terms of where they ultimately ended up getting drafted. They're also both guys who have dealt with some injuries over the course of their careers. And so possible medical red flags as well. I mean, I that's pure speculation. I don't know about that because those are things that NFL teams typically do not publicize, but you know, there, there certainly could have been medical questions about both of those guys too, because they did deal with some injuries over the course of their Ohio state careers. And you made the point, I, I think back to back to January or so a year ago and both those guys coming back. And I think there was I think a lot of people were surprised that both of those guys came back and we talked about what a big, you know, boon that was for Ohio State to have those two guys back, but realistically from an NFL draft stock standpoint, they didn't benefit from that. They might have both been hurt by that. Now, that's not to say that I mean, I'd have to ask them which I haven't had the chance to yet, if that means that they, you know, regret their decisions or that they made a mistake. I mean, I know in Fair's case it was very important for him to graduate from Ohio State. And so by returning to Ohio State, that gave him the opportunity to do that. And that was a big part of his impetus in, in coming back. Both those guys had the opportunity to be captains for Ohio State last year. And so I think those are things that were important to them. I think they'd probably tell you that still glad they played another year at Ohio State. And that was rewarding for them. But I think it's interesting because I think I, I think one common rhetoric that's out there a lot of times is like if a guy is not an early round pick he should definitely return to school and like i mean i mean shoot we'll talk about malachi branham later in the show and some people are like think malachi branham should return to ohio state even though he's already projected as a lottery pick and i think yeah i think there's always this kind of floating idea out there that like if a guy returns to school he's going to improve his draft stock and the reality is like it doesn't always happen that way. 
I don't even really think it necessarily usually happens that way. Like, I think it can happen. Like if a guy comes back for another year and he's demonstrably better the next year, like a Terry McLaurin, for example, he was a guy who was thinking about entering the draft a year earlier, probably would have been a late round pick if he was drafted at all, comes back as a great final year, goes in the third round. And now you look what he's doing. So it certainly can help. But I think you see in the cases of these guys, it didn't help. I mean, it's hard to quantify whether it actually hurt them because we don't know where they would have been drafted last year. We can say, well, they were projected as middle round picks last year, but they were projected as middle round picks this year too. So we don't really know where they would have gone last year. With Thayer, I mean, some of the talk about him going into the year, but like he was going to be a first round pick. Like, I don't know if that was ever rooted in reality. I mean, I think that was rooted more in just the idea that, hey, he was a really good tackle at Ohio State last year. But I, I don't really think with his, I, I think for both those guys, if they're measurables, I don't think Ivram was really ever in position to be that really early round pick. I do think that they might've both gone higher last year. Cause I don't, I don't think playing a year at guard helped fair of a way that he had hoped it would. And I think in Haskell's case, he played through injuries a lot of a year and probably put some bad tape out there. And that, that probably didn't help his cause, but it's just something to think. It's something to think about for guys in the future. I think, especially in this weird you know time that we're in now, if these extra years of eligibility, where these are both guys who were they could have they were seniors a year ago they would have exhausted their eligibility a year ago if not for the covid year that everybody got i mean i remember talking to jim Nagy from the senior bowl and he was really surprised that both those guys came back to school because he thought they were ready to go play in the nfl now so i think everybody's decision is different but i, I do think it will be interesting to monitor over time here how many of these guys who return for that extra year actually benefit from it? Because in, in those guys' cases, it, unfortunately for them, it just didn't help them from an NFL draft stock standpoint. Yeah, for sure. And I know you made the point as well, just speaking to the surprising nature of Haskell Garrett going undrafted, just the fact that a guy like Jay Sean Cornell and nothing against him or his Ohio State career, um, you know, he came on very strong in that, that, that final year that he played for the Buckeyes. But I mean, you have to say that he had a much less productive, you know, career overall than a Haskell Garrett did in, in that, that same tackle position on the inside. He's a guy that did get drafted. Haskell Garrett does not go drafted, of course. So that kind of just only adds to, to, to the nature of that. But Dan, it's only natural after one draft ends, you start thinking already about next year and, and the draft class ahead. I mean, honestly, when Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave got drafted, and, and throw Jamison Williams in the mix there as well. A lot of the narrative actually, like even when they got drafted was, well, well, there's a, currently a, another Ohio State wide receiver that might be better than all of those guys in Jackson Smith and Jigma, who is, is slotted to be the top wide receiver selected in next year's draft, potentially a top 10 pick with, with him and CJ Stroud, both you would have to imagine, Dan, and you have to think that those guys are going to kind of headline that draft class for the Buckeyes next year in, a, in similar fashion to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's already tons of early 2023 mock drafts out there. And I think everyone I've seen has had both those guys in the top 10. So that doesn't guarantee anything. There's a long way to go. I mean, if you looked at a lot of the mock drafts at this time a year ago, a lot of them had Spencer Rattler as the top pick and Spencer Rattler ended up getting benched at Oklahoma. So it, there's still a long way to go here. I mean, a lot can change between now and the time next year's draft actually happens. But I think both those guys are certainly going to enter this draft cycle in position to be the top player at their position and in turn be top 10 picks. In CJ Stroud's case, potentially the number one overall pick in the draft because we know how much value there is at the quarterback position and he's going to enter this cycle alongside Bryce Young from Alabama as one of the top two quarterbacks in the class. Now, again, that can change because I think back to two years ago at this time, we were talking about how Justin Fields was going to battle Trevor Lawrence to be the number one quarterback in that class. And Trevor Lawrence did end up going number one, but Fields ended up going 11th behind Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. So there's still plenty of time for other quarterbacks to emerge here. And now 
I think the big thing for CJ is how is he going to handle the added pressure that comes with this now, where all eyes are going to be on him all year. Because I mean, I think back to the start of last year, he had some growing pains. I mean, he was feeling the heat from the Ohio State fans. And now every the whole nation's going to be nitpicking every start because they're going to be talking about him as that possible number one overall pick. And so I think that's the thing to me where the CJ Stroud we saw in the Rose Bowl, if he plays like that all year, then yeah, I believe there's a good chance he'll be the number one pick a year from now. But I think he has to do that first before we can really start talking about, okay, this guy's the number one prospect in next year's draft. He's got to be able to play. I mean, I'm not saying break the school passing record every game, but I'm saying he's got to consistently play at that very high level all year long if he's actually going to be uh, the number one overall pick. And so I think he certainly has that kind of talent. It's certainly possible, but you know, I'm not ready to you know bet on it yet that he's going to be the number one pick next year. I think there's a lot of time for, for things to change, but without a doubt, he's somebody who's on that trajectory that there's a very good chance he's going to join Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields and become Ohio state's third top 15 pick at the quarterback position in a five-year span. Yeah. I think the, the operative word there that you used was the consistently or, or consistency in general for CJ Stroud, because I mean, you look at what he did statistically last year, I mean, what do you expect? You, you can't expect the man to go out there and throw 75 touchdowns this season. So if he can replicate basically what he did this past season stati- from a statistical standpoint, obviously you just mentioned a couple of speed bumps he had along the way, especially early on. But I mean, it's about, can he produce another season like he had last year? Because we have seen over the years, sometimes a guy will have a tremendous season at quarterback and come back the next year and isn't quite the same guy. I think if he can show that he can do that all over again when opposing defenses know exactly how good he is, then I think that will definitely help his case for being that number one pick. But Dan, outside of kind of those two top guys there who are you know, projecting to be potential top 10 picks, who else in that 2023 draft class for the Buckeyes? I know you just wrote a, an extensive piece about looking at all the guys that could come out next year. Which of those guys kind of intrigues you the most? Or I guess also, who who, who do you see as potentially being that third guy taken for the Buckeyes after Stroud and uh, JSN? Yeah, I think Paris Johnson is the guy that you're going to see in most of the mock drafts right now is the guy who could be that third first round pick next year. And I I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. I think he has that kind of upside, that kind of talent, but I'm holding back on that one a little bit. Like I'm, I'm not quite ready to throw him in that same conversation yet. Cause I mean, with CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, we're talking about two guys who have already broken Ohio state records. We're talking about two guys who have already proven they can play at an elite level. So to say that they should be top 10 picks next year, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that that's something that you can absolutely foresee happening with Paris Johnson. That's totally based on the assumption that he's going to move to left tackle and immediately be an elite left tackle. And it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, offensive line is a tough position to play. And we saw in the spring game that he had some rough moments there in the spring game. I still think he'll do well this year. I think it is possible that he could become that first round prospect at left tackle in a year's time, but I'm not quite ready to go there yet. I just think that there's too much unknown. I think we need to actually see him play at left tackle and see if he's actually playing at an elite level before we can really start talking about whether he's going to be a first round pick next year. So I think if I was going to set the over under on first round picks for Ohio state next year, I'd probably set it at two and a half because I think there's two guys in CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba who should be first round picks unless things don't go according to plan this year. Then I think there's a lot of other guys whether it's Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, maybe, you know, even a Zach Harrison, if he was to have some massive breakout year, Cam Brown, somebody like that. I mean, I think it's a little bit more of a stretch when you're talking about those guys, but you never know if they can have a really elite year, maybe they can have that kind of uh, third year breakout. And so I two and a half is where I'd set the over under in terms of, I think Ohio state certainly could have a, a third first round pick emerge. But, you know, the only two guys I'd feel really confident in saying 
I think they're going to be first round picks a year from now would be Stroud and JSN. Yeah, I feel the same. And I think Zach Harrison is an interesting kind of name in this draft class because, of course, in years past, projecting out what his NFL draft future might have been. A lot of people for for years assumed that he might be a first round guy, but of course his career hasn't quite played out like that up to this point. Of course, he's still got another year to kind of prove those detractors wrong. And I know there, there certainly are, there certainly is a segment of the fan base that I think is kind of wondering when he is going to break out for the Buckeyes. And if the part of that narrative is also Jack Sawyer and JT coming up behind him here. But there's a lot of names when you start looking at all the guys that could come out next year for Ohio State. Uh, it would figure to certainly be a bigger draft class than what we saw this past year, uh, just a couple of days ago with the Buckeyes. But how many guys, Dan, do you actually think are going to get drafted? Because, of course, several of the guys on this list here referring to your article on the 2023 draft class for Ohio State will in all likelihood go undrafted. Yeah, it's hard because at this time a year ago, I would have said 10 and it ended up being six. And that's because you had a guy, Haskell Garrett, who I would have had in that group. It was the six guys who actually were drafted and, and Haskell that I had in that group. And then I also would have said Zach Harrison, Josh Proctor, and Seven Banks. And obviously Harrison ended up coming back for another year. Proctor got hurt. He ended up coming back for another year. And then Banks ended up also being hurt and transferring to LSU. And you know, I don't even know if he would have been drafted if he had entered the draft, but we'll see what happens with him a year from now with LSU. But I think that makes it tough because it's like you can go into the year and think like, oh yeah, this guy's definitely going to be drafted a year from now. And then a lot of different things that can happen that can potentially uh, change that. But with that being said, if I was going to predict right now, I'm right around that 10 number again, because again, I mean, you got Stroud, Smith and Jigba. I think both those guys are for sure, you know, going to be in the draft next year and they're going to be first round picks. Paris Johnson, you'd think there's a strong likelihood that he's going to enter the draft. I mean, I saw his mom tweeted over the weekend that he's already a senior academically. So that would suggest that he's on a path to where he's trying to graduate in December. So that if he does leave Ohio state after three years, he has his degree, and I think that's something that he's been envisioning as a possibility all along. And so you'd think he's likely going to be in the draft next year. Dewan Jones, Zach Harrison, Cam Brown, those are all guys who considered going last year. And so even though they all technically still have two years of eligibility left, you'd have to think all of them are going to be in the draft next year. And I think all of them will uh, be drafted a year from now. The guy who I don't think anyone's talked about enough as a draft prospect yet that to me is probably the most intriguing guy in that defense is Ronnie Hickman, because I think Ronnie Hick played really well last year. I mean, he, I don't think he really considered going to the draft, but I think he would have been drafted if he did go. And I think especially if the position change he's making this year, he already proved he could play that strong safety role really well last year. If he can make this move to free safety and play really well there, I think his stock could move up really high and I could see him being as high as a day two draft pick because I, I think if he can show that he has that versatility, I think he physically looks the part of an NFL safety. And, and if he can show NFL teams that, hey, I can play free safety, I can play strong safety, I think he'll have a lot of value and and will be a, a sound middle round pick in next year's draft. So I add him to the list. That's that seven. Josh Proctor, again, a guy that I think as long as he bounces back this year, returns to form and has a good year, I think he probably gets drafted next year. And, and that's eight. I think Tanner McAllister transferring in. He's a guy that Jim Knowles said he was surprised that McAllister didn't enter the NFL draft last year. And so I think he probably would have been a late round pick if he entered the draft this year. Maybe that's the range we're talking about next year. So we'll see, but I think he's a guy that I'd probably say right now, I think there's a good chance he gets drafted a year from now. And then I think Teron Vincent's another guy as well, who's in that mix to where he could be drafted a year from now. I mean, he's still got to show it, but he did play well in the Rose Bowl. There's a lot of people in the program who still believe that he's going to be a star. So if, if he can put it all together, I could see him having a Devon Hamilton-like rise to that, which we saw a couple of years ago, where Devon Hamilton kind of came out of nowhere as a fifth-year senior, ended up being a third-round pick. 
I'm not predicting that Tehran's going to go that high, but I'm saying that if he has that kind of season as a fifth year senior, I think he's a guy who could put himself into that draft mix as well. Probably has more of the measurables that teams are looking for in comparison to a Haskell Garrett, just in terms of physical upside. And so those are the 10 guys I look at right now and say, I feel like all of those guys have a pretty good shot of being drafted next year. I did do 20 players in the article on 11 Warriors just to try to be exhaustive of these are all the guys that NFL teams could be looking at. But you know, a lot of those other guys, a guy like a Noah Ruggles, I think he'll get a shot next year. It's probably most likely going to be as an undrafted free agent, especially considering that Ohio State just brought in a kicker who's going to come in and compete for his job. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, you know, he's a guy like I think he gets a shot next year, but there's a good chance it's not as a draft pick. Mitch Rossi's another guy like that. There's going to be some guys like a Luke Whipler or a Steel Chambers that I think are NFL prospects, but maybe they're more likely to be at Ohio State for two more years than they are to be for just one more year. But if those guys have a really good year, maybe they can get themselves into that draft mix. Matt Jones is a guy who's going to be a first-time full-time starter this year. If he has a really good year, maybe he gets himself into that draft mix. And then I think the wild card, if you're just looking for guys who are draft eligible, if you're looking for a guy who can be that Jamison Williams kind of player who has a big breakout as a draft prospect, as a third-year guy, you'd have to look at Julian Fleming, which... Again, I'm not predicting that because this is a guy who's had a lot of issues of injuries. I don't know that he's even going to be a starter this year, but this is a guy who was a number three overall prospect in the 2020 recruiting class. I mean, this is a guy who was ranked higher than Paris Johnson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and CJ Stroud in the 2022 recruiting class. Three guys were talking about his first round picks. So if Julian Fleming can put it all together this year and have a breakout, he could absolutely shoot up draft boards and, and become a draft pick a year from now. So I'm not going to predict that because right now there's no reason to talk about him as a guy who would be leaving school a year from now, but he's a guy you can't overlook. I mean, he's a guy that NFL scouts are going to be paying attention to this year just in case, because with his pedigree, with his size and athleticism, if he can you know, finally put it together and stay healthy this year and have a big year. He absolutely is somebody who could burst onto the scene as an NFL prospect. Yeah, it's actually interesting that when you're talking about that, I'm starting to think with, with this group, there, there's a lot of guys uh, that were five-star guys on, you know, this recruiting site or another. When you look at a, a Zach Harrison and Julian Fleming, um, a Taraja Mitchell as well, you talk about a uh, Teron Vincent as uh, also all those guys, I mean, they, they have to have a, a big final year if they were to go to the draft. But just I think there, there's a lot of potential in that group, but also some of it maybe not maximized in terms of the trajectories that a lot of people might have originally envisioned for their NFL draft stock. But Minbuck actually asked us, you touched on Ronnie Hickman there a minute ago. What round do you foresee Ronnie Hickman going? Because like you said, that, that is a very intriguing guy because he kind of burst onto the scene last season. But, you know, playing that hybrid role, now he's going to be playing more of a traditional free safety role, albeit Jim Knowles likes to use that adjuster safety role in, in kind of some different ways also. But him making that switch, I know you said if, if he kind of maximizes his potential there that you could see him being drafted on day two. What round? Call your shot, Dan. Minbuck says call your shot. What round? Third round. Third round. I was going to say fourth myself, but <laughs> I would not put a pass around Hickman to, to rise to the third round either. I was kind of between the two, but I'll go for more optimistic projection and I will go. Ronnie Hickman will be a third round pick a year from now. As I alluded to just a couple minutes ago, one piece of news for the current football team this past week as former USC kicker Parker Lewis announced his transfer to Ohio State. And I believe we talked about him on the show a week or two ago after he visited Ohio State. So not a huge surprise here that he ultimately chose to join the team. An unusual situation for Ohio State, certainly, because it currently has three scholarship kickers, which a lot of times Ohio State has only one scholarship kicker. So it's definitely different, but I do think it makes sense in the respect, in two respects. For one, as good as Noah Ruggles was on field goals last year, making all but one of his field goal attempts, he wasn't great on kickoffs, and he also didn't 
attempt any field goals longer than 46 yards. And so I think Parker Lewis is a guy who was really good at kickoffs at USC, has a big leg, that he comes in and he gives them probably an immediate upgrade on kickoffs, and he gives them another option uh, on field goals. I know from talking to Parker, he wants to be the kicker. He was told by Ohio State's coaches that he will get a chance to compete with Noah Ruggles for that field goal kicking job. I mean, you'd have to think it's Ruggles' job to lose with how well he played last year, but they are going to give Parker Lewis that shot. So nothing's going to be guaranteed here for Noah Ruggles going into camp after, you know, Ruggles took spring semester off. But, you know, you'd have to think Ruggles is going to be the field goal kicker next year. But, you know, I think having a guy at that stronger leg it helps you. Hey, if you're in a situation where maybe you want to kick a 50 plus yard field goal, I think last year, I don't think Ohio State necessarily viewed that as a realistic option because I think as much as they trusted Ruggles' leg inside of 50 yards, they didn't necessarily feel that he had the range to make those longer kicks. I think with Parker Lewis, they might feel that he has more of that range. So I think it gives them an option there. It gives them an upgrade on kickoffs, which it's hard. You can't just go by the numbers because at times Ohio state has asked its kickers not to kick the ball in the end zone because it wants to pin teams inside the 25. And so you can't just go off the numbers and say, wow, Ruggles is horrible at kickoffs. But I think it does tell you that maybe they want to kick the ball for the end zone more this year. Maybe they don't want to take as many chances in the kickoff game this year. Maybe they just want a guy that they know they can really rely on uh, to boot that ball deep every time. And it gives you a natural successor already in the pipeline for Ruggles now of Parker Lewis having three years of eligibility. Obviously, it raises the question, well, what about Jake Seibert? I mean, we haven't seen Jake Seibert play much yet. And so this would suggest that maybe they don't feel Jake Seibert is that next guy at kicker? He's still on the team, so it's certainly possible. I'm sure he's going to be involved in that competition as well. But, you know, it would seem like Ohio State felt like it needed to bring in another kicker into the pipeline. And rather than recruiting a scholarship kicker for the 2023 class, Ohio State has decided to bring somebody in right now by bringing in Parker Lewis. Yeah, and I think a lot of fans might be just wondering because of the success of No Ruggles last year, like well, why would Ohio State be be trying to do this? And and you you obviously just mentioned the reasons why, but I mean at Ohio State, and especially with having a guy like Parker Fleming being the special teams coordinator there as an assistant coach, you're pursuing perfection to at Ohio State, and the fact that in the Rose Bowl there was a kickoff return for a touchdown with Britton Covey, and I think you look at that, and if you're Parker Fleming and you're trying to pursue perfection, then that's something either that he feels that that he has to tie up probably. And so getting a guy that has a better track record with not allowing balls to be be returned via kickoff, it, it, it makes sense. It makes sense for all the reasons you just talked about. And I know you were, you've talked to Parker Lewis a few times as well, and we're and we're all over that news. But Dan, obviously now um, with the transfer deadline being passed now, how it's sitting at 85 scholarship players, of course, we talked about how at a certain point in time, they had some things to figure out. Things have now been figured out though for the Buckeyes, but what do you make of the roster right now in terms of, do you feel solid about the roster construct for Heist right now? Or are there certain areas where maybe you still have some questions about how things rounded out when Ohio State ended up getting to that 85 number? Yeah, that worked out pretty nicely, didn't it? All that talk about, oh man, how are I going to get to 85? And then the transfer total deadline passes and they're at exactly 85. So Ryan Day and the coaches ended up making those numbers work. Again, we don't know exactly how all those conversations went. Did they encourage guys to leave? Did they just know guys were going to leave? Either way, it, it all ultimately seems to have worked out in the end for Ohio State to end up right on that 85-man number. Doesn't guarantee that all 85 of those guys will still be on the team come September because, you know, Whether a guy could decide in preseason camp, he's going to enter the transfer portal. Even if he can't play this year, he might do it just to try to get a head start on going to another school next year, or a guy could leave the team just for other reasons. I mean, so there's no guarantee that all 85 guys that are on your roster now are still going to be there when the season starts. But I think certainly, first of all, just to be at 85, I think that's a good feeling. I think that's something that that's what Ryan Day said when I asked him about it before the spring. He said, I'd rather be over right now than under. I want to make sure we have 85. So I think the fact that they have 85 right now is something he's really happy about. I mean, 
The only drawback of that is you can't go out and get anybody else in the portal now, but we haven't heard about Ohio State being linked to anybody else in the portal since the end of spring other than Parker Lewis. And so I don't really think that there's anybody that Ohio State is really trying to go get right now. And I think a lot of that is because of the fact that I think the roster is in pretty good shape. I mean, across the board, I mean, I don't, there's not one position that I look at and go like, man, like they, they really need this here. Like I think every position, like they've got guys who look like they're poised to be starters. They've got some experienced depth. I mean, I think if you're looking at one position that you would have thought, man, maybe they need to go get a transfer. It'd be offensive line because we heard Ryan day talk a lot this spring about his concerns there. But I think the reality is it's hard to go get a quality player from the portal if you don't have a starting spot open. And I think between both offensive line or even corner, he said he wanted eight corners. They only had six. So he's probably, he'd probably like to have another guy there. But I think the problem is when you don't have a starting spot open, you're not going to be that appealing to a transfer. Maybe if a guy enters the portal, like a trip train was a guy that like he grew up an Ohio State fan. He grew up in Ohio. He's still got four years of eligibility left, but he transfers over knowing he might not play a big role immediately, but because he believes in his ability to develop as a linebacker at Ohio State. Maybe if a guy who's only been out of college one year and he grew up an Ohio State fan, grew up in Ohio or something, has some kind of tie to Ohio State, you might be able to get that guy to come in as a backup. But by and large, most guys who enter a portal enter a portal because they want to go start somewhere. And Ohio State doesn't have any starting jobs to offer the players in the portal right now. I mean, maybe they could have looked at a tight end, but I think like a tight end, they're actually over the number right now. They actually have six scholarship guys. Ryan Day said in December that five is typically the number they look at. And so I, I didn't I never really thought that was particularly likely after Cade Stover moved back to tight end that Ohio State would look for a tight end there. And so I think all in all, I, I think the roster's in pretty good shape. I mean, I think, again, you'd look at maybe a position like corner where you only have six guys and say, well, if they had an injury or two here, then maybe they're in a tight spot here. Offensive line, that's been talked about, but they don't really have great depth behind those starting five, but I'm just not sure that they were going to be able to fix that through a portal unless they were going to give a starting job to somebody. And so I think all in all, and obviously we've talked in the past about Ryan Day being very good at limiting attrition. That was never going to be as possible this year. I mean, with the the way the numbers were, the way they were over the number, and just the fact that I think last year when the NCAA put in the rule allowing guys to, to transfer and still play that year, they did it so late that the guys weren't necessarily thinking that way. So there wasn't as much of that. Whereas I think now you, you've seen it this year, transfer movement is just becoming such a commonplace thing that that's going to be the reality for Ohio State going forward. There's going to be a significant number of transfers every year. And I think Ohio State will prepare for that accordingly by signing larger recruiting classes. And it's probably going to be a commonplace thing where we see Ohio State being over 90 scholarship players going into the spring, knowing that there's going to be somewhat of an exodus once the spring ends. On the basketball side of things, Dan, Malachi Branham, last week we we heard the announcement, I believe it was on Tuesday night or something, that he was going to have a press conference on Wednesday. I think we all kind of knew what to expect from that press conference. Wasn't really expecting a big surprise in terms of when he declared originally at the beginning of April for the NBA draft, he, if he was going to be, if he could get some kind of assurances that he would, you know, be a first round pick, then he would keep his name in the draft. He did not hear anything to deny that, that possibility there of him being a first round pick. I know Chris Holman actually said it was a consensus amongst the people that he was talking to in terms of NBA executives and scouts, prognosticators, this, that, and the third, that Branham would be a first round pick come June 23rd. And so, yeah, Ohio state now it's now official that Ohio state, will lose Malachi Branham next season. I'd already kind of written a bunch of articles talking about the fact that they wouldn't have him, presuming that he would not. Now it's it's official now. And of course, Chris Holman, I believe, said that it completely changes the complexion of the Ohio State roster. And I don't disagree with that, that statement. Up until a certain point, you know, halfway through the season, maybe, everyone was, was talking about how good you know, Malachi Branham could be for the Buckeyes in a second season as the, the lead star, because of course, Oftentimes this year, EJ Liddell still was kind of the the Batman, but of course there were some games when Malachi Brandon took on that role himself, but obviously now 
looking at next year, I mean, yeah, it's hard to replace a guy like that, that especially could have made a, just a huge impact for the, for the program in a second season. Of course, Ohio State's brought in some transfer guards now with the likes of Tanner Holden and Sean McNeil, but will either of those guys be kind of exact replacements for Malachi Branham? You wouldn't necessarily think so, but you know we will have to wait and see on that front. Dan, your reaction with the Malachi Branham news and kind of the impact that's going to have on the Buckeyes? Yeah, I mean, not surprised in any way, but it's still a huge loss because like you said, I, I don't think there's going to be anyone on the roster who's going to be capable of replacing Malachi by themselves next year. I think uh, that's going to have to be a by-committee approach. I mean, that's true of both Malachi and EJ Liddell. I just don't think that you have guys on the roster for next year. Again, some of those freshmen in time, maybe they can, but I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you never know what you're going to get a freshman. My feeling would be that although a lot of these freshmen are highly rated, I don't know if there's anybody in this freshman class who's going to be as ready to make a big impact in year one as Malachi did. I always kind of saw that coming with Malachi. These guys, maybe Bruce Fortin, maybe Bryce Sensabaugh, maybe one of those guys can come in and really play a big role right away. But I don't think you can bank on that. You can't bank on, I mean, even last year, I don't think, Chris Holtman was banking on that with Malachi Branham. I think it just kind of happened that he became that good that quickly. But I think you have to expect that for most of those guys, it's going to take a little more time to get ramped up to be ready to play at that level. And so I think it's going to have to be a very by committee approach to replacing both of those guys. And in that sense, I think that makes it still very important. Ohio State's got one roster spot left here, one scholarship available now. They've still got to go get one more high-quality player from the transfer portal. As I've said before, we got a couple questions this week about NIL. I think my main answer to those would be is I, I think at some point here in these next couple of months, we're just going to have to do a whole episode on this because this whole NIL thing is gotten, you know, it takes in so many twists and turns that at some point we're just going to have a full scale discussion about it. And I don't think we really have time today already being an hour into this podcast. And so you're not going to really be able to get into a ton of depth answering those questions today, but you know, certainly you know, some crazy developments in the NIL world over the last week. We saw, I think it was during the NFL draft, Miami basketball player Isaiah Wong, his NIL agent was threatening that he would leave Miami if he didn't get more NIL money. This coming just shortly after Miami gave $800,000 to Nigel Pack to go there over Ohio State and Purdue. And so ultimately, Isaiah Wong backed off of that. He put out a statement saying, I didn't say that. And that's not what I meant. And I'm still committed to Miami, but, you know, certainly a lot of backroom dealings happening there. And then another one that's still kind of playing out here as we record, but on Tuesday afternoon, Jordan Addison, the, the reigning Belitnikoff winner from Pitt, he did officially enter the transfer portal on Tuesday. There's been rumors of NIL deals that he could get if he goes to USC. Not sure how verified those are, but it could be a combination of both NIL and just wanting to go play for a championship contending team and catching passes from Caleb Williams. But certainly seeing more and more, I think this combination of the transfer portal now being open to guys being able to transfer and play immediately and NIL, these two things are coming together in a big way because schools are, or not schools, but collectives who are connected to schools are making offers to, to these guys who are in the transfer portal, trying to sway them to, to come to schools. And so it's unlike anything we've ever seen in college sports before. And I think the reality is, it's going to continue to happen unless the NCAA or Congress comes in and does something to control it. Yeah. It's very interesting too, because I know a lot of the people who, who were pushing back on the idea of opening all the, the NIL you know, stuff up in the first place, were kind of saying, all right, wait a second here. We need to have more of a plan before we just decide to potentially open Pandora's box, if you will. And, but I think when they actually did it, in past, you know, legislation, this, that, and the third, it was, well, Hey, like, why do we have to have such a, you know, structured plan? Like 
why not just open it up and allow players to actually make money and everything? But I think now what we're seeing is as things kind of develop here is that, yeah, like maybe there should have been more of a plan in certain regards. And we're, we're seeing some kind of how this can kind of go in certain directions that I think a lot of some people are going to be uneasy with. And I think definitely part of it is, is going to have to part of the resolution maybe is going to have to be having at least cl- a clearer understanding of what is or, or isn't allowed, because I think we might have even mentioned it on another podcast that we've heard kind of quotes, even like anonymous quotes from coaches saying, we, we have, we don't, we have no idea what's allowed and what isn't allowed right now. And I think the bottom line is that, that, that seems like a big problem. If even the coaches don't know what, you know, is or isn't allowed to be going on right now. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the question we were asked by silver sniper who he was asked, why have we not seen Ohio state or Ohio state affiliated organizations open up the checkbook for big time recruits? a la Carnell Tate, the way we've seen A&M, USC, Tennessee, among others do. And the reason for that is because Ohio State doesn't want them to. Oh, I mean, everyone I've talked to from Ohio State, they don't want these collectives to be involved with making deals to specific recruits. They have told the collectives affiliated with Ohio State not to do that because they don't know exactly what is it against rules. And they are concerned that if the NCAA decides to start going after schools for recruiting inducements through NIL. They are concerned that if their collectives are involved in that, that, you know, that could ultimately lead for trouble for Ohio state down the line. So Ohio state all along has taken a cautious approach to this thing. I I know there's some people hearing that and do not like hearing that because they're fearful that Ohio state is going to, to fall behind in, in recruiting. I think Ohio state leadership would really like to see the NCA come in and put some, I know Gene Smith has used the term guardrails before on this thing. I, I think they would really like to see the NCA come in and put some regulations on this because I don't think they are comfortable at all with, with what's happening here. But I think at least for the time being, Ohio state is not going to want its collectives to to offer specific deals to recruits like which might be happening at Tennessee and other schools. I do know that the collectives have made offers to transfers. So they are taking a different approach with transfers than they are with recruits. But I still think even there, they're not going to be as aggressive in that space as some of these other schools are. And I think to some extent, they don't need to be because I mean, look at, I mean, Ohio state is still recruiting at an extremely high level. So it's not as if Ohio state isn't still getting top recruits because of this. And so I don't think there's any reason to panic about Ohio state, not being overly aggressive in this space right now. And I think, I mean, I'll say this, Ohio State is glad that it has collectives in place because those collectives can create deals for players once they get to campus. And Ohio State is absolutely still using NIL in its recruiting pitch. I mean, Ohio State is absolutely telling recruits, hey, if you come here, these are all the opportunities you could have. We're, we have one of the biggest fan bases. We're in one of the biggest markets in the country. If you come here, you're going to have more NIL opportunities than players at most other schools. And so I think Ohio State still feels confident that it can make an NIL recruiting pitch that's effective without making outright deals to recruits. But certainly there are other schools that are doing that and are going to continue to do that unless the NCAA comes in and makes it very clear that they cannot do that. Yeah, Dan, and I don't think it's issues that we are going to solve here in, in, in one uh, podcast episode, certainly not. But like you said, we'll, we'll be able to maybe dive deeper into this topic in general on a later podcast. If you choose to do so next week, Dan, I will not be involved because I am going to Costa Rica. If anyone listening here has any recommendations or travel tips or anything like that and feels inclined to, to reach out to me with those, uh, you can definitely do so. My my, my DMs are open. But yeah, I, I'll be having the, the week off here coming up soon and I will be back to talk to all of you on this show and talk to Dan the following Tuesday. So a little bit of a break here for me.
Yes, I have talked to our colleague, Garrick Hodge, and he is planning to join the show next week to talk about some recruiting because we haven't spent a ton of time talking about recruiting here on the show lately. So planning to bring Garrick on to co-host with me next week so that we can talk all things recruiting. So if there's specific recruiting topics that you guys want to hear us talk about, uh, football recruiting particularly, if you guys have specific topics you want to hear us talk about, let us know and we will definitely try to hit them those next week while Griffin is enjoying the sunshine and enjoying his vacation. So Griffin, we will wish you well and look forward to having you back on the show in two weeks. But for all the listeners out there, we hope you'll tune in again next week. So thanks again for listening in, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your week.